Kristen, it's Thanksgiving, and here's my question. Why, why is Thanksgiving always the season when the Hunger Games come out? Because we're so hungry. Oh, for God's so sake. Hungry. <laughs> is that why? Hungry, 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 hungry. <laughs> I'm a hungry, hungry hippo on Thanksgiving. Shoot that teenager. <laughs> God, I'm hungry. Why is it? It was the same thing with the uh, with the vampire, with the uh, Twilight, right? They, didn't they They're all so come hungry, out? too. They're hungry. They want some blood. Mm. Mm. It's a strange, strange tradition. It's that... the best day of the year to be hungry because there's food everywhere. <laughs> so it's, odd. It's not like you're walking around hungry all day and there's no way to satisfy that. That's right. Everywhere you go, you're going to stuff that face. That's right. Put stuff in that hole. <laughs> stuff that hole. Love it. Okay, I guess that's the answer. So this uh, on this podcast, we're going to review the latest Hunger Games, Mockingjay Dash Part One. I think it's called Hunger Games colon. That's right, the Hunger Games Dash Part One. That's right, that's correct. <laughs> just like uh, just like Harry Potter, just like Twilight. Got to uh, break those movies into as many pieces as we can. That's right. Uh, so we're going to do that, and we'll also touch on uh, a new documentary about the band Pulp. All that and more coming up in a moment. But first, let's introduce ourselves. I'm Rafer Guzman, movie critic for Newsday. And I'm Kristen Meinzer, culture producer for The Takeaway. And this is a very special Thanksgiving movie day. Okay, let's talk about a movie that I guess has a little something to do with food, Pulp. Orange Juice. A film about (laughs) life, death, and supermarkets. Yes, yes, yes. All about Jarvis Cocker and his band, the 90s Britpop group that we loved along with Blur and Oasis. Uh, Pulp from Sheffield, England. That's right. Sheffield, England. And this movie documents their... 25th anniversary, the final concert in their big reunion tour back in late 2012, going home to a town that loves them, that still uh, sees them as superheroes, even though they've been around since the 1970s. And we get to see the people of the town and we get to see the band performing. Here's a clip. When did you first realize each time you took an Now, Kristen, are you a Pulp fan? I do like Pulp. I loved all of that music back then. I mean, that was really my college heyday. I was going to see those bands play. I saw Blur play several times. Oh, wow. Yeah, I was really into that whole thing. How about you? Oh, I mean, yeah, I loved the Britpop scene. I was uh, out of college by then. (laughs) Um, But I loved the Britpop scene. It was a real shot in the arm, I feel, for music in general, especially, you know, with the death of Kurt Cobain. And I feel like everything had become really just kind of a bummer in music overall. And then all of a sudden you had all these great bands coming out of England and you had that little war with Oasis and Blur. That was fun. <laughs> and, you know, and then you had these, these um, in America at least, these lesser, lesser known heroes like Suede, one of my favorite mm, bands yeah, ever, and Pulp. And, uh, yeah, I thought Pulp was a great, great, great band. Different Class is just a fantastic album. And so is This Is Hardcore. Oh, I, yeah. This Is Hardcore is fantastic. They're both just great. Um, and so I was kind of hoping uh, when I saw this movie that it would be – Something about um, that whole Britpop scene, which I have not—I have not seen a documentary that really dove, dive, dives, doved, <laughs> that really doved into that. 
that Britpop scene. I have, you know, I would like to see that, you know, given some context. But that's not really what we're getting here, is it? No. And you know what else we're not getting that I really would have liked? More about the history and the background of Sheffield. Because this is really a love letter to the fans in Sheffield. Sheffield, the town that the band grew out of. And yet all we see are like... You know, some folks at the old folks' home that know all the words to pulp songs. Right. Which is some, funny. Which is funny and cute. And and young kids who know the words to all the pulp songs and so on. And that's great because it's showing how influential the band has been. And these are hometown heroes. But we're not understanding why is this town so unique? What is it about this town and its history that this band grew out of? And, I mean, that's my biggest issue with the whole movie is I wanted it to, to dive deeper. And I'm a yeah. big pulp fan and I love the music. But it should have provided things for people who aren't from Sheffield. I, I feel like um, there's a germ of an idea here that grows mostly out of the band's one big hit, which was Common People, um, which Jarvis Cocker in the film on stage says was born out of a, a real experience. And if you don't know that song, it's a great, beautiful, wonderful, hilarious song uh, about a guy who's sitting at a bar and he gets sort of chatted up by this rich girl who decides I'm going to use this this guy as my entry into the common people. Uh, you know, I want to do whatever common people do. I want to sleep with common people, common people like you. And he tries to get her to become one, but in the end is basically saying, you'll never be someone like me. You're always going to be the rich, spoiled, pampered person. You'll... She's like an uptown girl. Exactly. Trying <laughs> kind to of uh, live in that downtown world. Exactly. And it's a great song. And um, I feel like there's a little there's that there's a gem of of a, a germ of an idea that pulp represents this working class aesthetic and that pulp comes from a long tradition of chroniclers of british life you know and i and i don't just mean like blur and the kinks and bands but i mean like novelists like 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 martin amos or kingsley mm-hmm. amos or, or or the kitchen sink movies from the 60s that pulp is part of this but the movie never never really like it doesn't quite bring it though it doesn't connect it and I, I and i and it's not that i would have wanted i guess i would have wanted more sheffield history if they were really going to really pull that pull that theme out of the movie but instead i just kind of feel like it's hey there's a you know pulp happens to be from sheffield which most people probably don't know and sheffield's this kind of you know unattractive working class town but there're heroes there and isn't that cool and i i feel like yes that's cool but you could have given me that in like a 30 minute featurette on a pulp dvd yes, you know what i'm saying i agree and so even though the movie's only an hour and 33 minutes by the end i felt that it was kind of repetitive and very <laughs> long yes. it felt a lot longer than it needed to be yes i'm going to say that pulp uh is uh what's the full title pulp, pulp a film colon, a film about <laughs> life death and supermarkets supermarkets that's right I feel like it is not a great date, but I do feel like if you're a pulp fan, you'll want to see it because I don't think there's anything else out there about the band really besides this. I think this is pretty much the first documentary. I totally agree with you. And, you know, I saw this with a lot of my friends who are also pulp fans, and most of them really enjoyed it. And, they did, okay. And, and so, I mean, I, I would say it's a good date if you're a big, big pulp fan, but right. for the rest of us, eh, so so. Yeah. Yeah, not a great date. I agree. She said, I want to live like common people I want to do whatever common people do want to sleep with common people I want to sleep with common people like you Okay, Kristen, let's get to the meat of the matter. Oh, 
I'm hungry. I had to use it. I had you to use another it. stupid you, food metaphor. You totally did it. Just like I did last year. <laughs> of course, we're talking about The Hunger Games, Mockingjay, part one. It's the first of the two-part finale of the teen dystopian sci-fi franchise. Jennifer Lawrence as Katniss Everdeen. And in this episode, she has been uh, rescued from the past Hunger Games. It turns out that uh, Plutarch Heavensby, played by Philip Seymour Hoffman, was not actually the head game maker, or well, he was, but he was also fomenting revolution. And now she is going to join the revolution, led by President Alma Coyne, played by Julianne Moore. Here's a clip. You're all from the Capitol? Plutarch got you out? Don't expect much chit-chat from him. Capitol cut his tongue out years ago. And no... It wasn't any sort of rescue, if that's what you mean. We all fled on our own. For this. For you. Talking, talking, talking. Walking down a hallway and talking. Sitting at a meeting room and talking. Is it just me, Reefer, or was there a lot of strategizing and meetings and talking in this movie and not a lot of action? I think that pretty much sums up this movie. Um, I feel like uh, this movie... Well, you, now, let me backtrack. You like The Hunger Games. Oh, yes. I devoured the books in a week, all three okay. of them. And I also liked the second one, directed by Francis Lawrence, yeah. same director who's back this time around yeah. and for the next one. I actually liked the second one more than the first. That's this, interesting. I did not. I, I thought that the action was better. I thought that the vision was more cohesive. But this one was so slow to yeah. me. and. I just felt they were really milking this, and this is an obvious case of you split the last book in two, and you shouldn't have. You should not have made this into two movies. Yeah, so you're th- you feel like this is uh, this is a result of uh, just box office greed, basically. I think a lot of it's box office greed, and, um, and, and it could have been fixed by just making it one movie, and you could have just put in more action somewhere in here. There There's is, almost no action There is almost movie. no action whatsoever. There's really, from what I'm remembering, only what I would call one action scene when they go back to visit a particular location uh, mm-hmm. and uh, they're attacked. And that's that's kind of it. That's really all you get. And that's actually kind of early in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, I, my problem, I feel like this whole series is just letting me down. I, I feel like when, when the Hunger Games first started, it seemed like it had real potential for a little social commentary, this idea mm. of, a, of a, you know, again, it's the dystopia with the haves and the have-nots and this rebel, uh, a theme that we've seen a lot in movies lately. Um, and this, it was, a, it was very violent and kind of edgy, I think, for a PG-13 film. And then you had Jennifer Lawrence as Katniss Everdeen, this warrior princess Diana figure with the bow and the arrow. And there was a lot of talk about this stuff. And I felt that the first movie was okay, but it seemed promising to me. I felt that the second movie was a little bit just more of the same. And now I kind of feel like the whole – everything that made this movie seem smart and interesting and potentially insightful in some way is just gone. This whole movie is is Jennifer Lawrence being followed around by a reality TV crew while trying to tape – propaganda videos that they're going to disseminate. Meanwhile, the Capitol is putting out its own propaganda videos, and that's kind of all it is. It's warring campaign commercials, right? Oh, and, gosh, I fell asleep. I mean, because you know what? It is so boring. <laughs> it is. It is boring. But, I mean, doesn't it, does it not bother you that there's sort of like no – there's no uh, – it, it's the, the movie seems to be like there's going to be two warring propaganda machines, and you're going to root for one of them. 
And I mm. kind of feel like I don't want to root for a propaganda machine. I want to root for something larger and that's that's going to, you know, last time we saw Jennifer Lawrence, she was breaking out of the Hunger Games. She'd shattered the whole system. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like now you're back in another system and it's all about fashion and Ooh, costumes. Well, Rafer, I'm not going to tell you what happens in the next one because you haven't read the third book. Have okay, you? you're right. And I'm there is that, there is that possibility. That. But um, I will say, regardless... This movie doesn't stand on its own legs. It just doesn't do it. Well, it definitely does not. No, so it, it's I, definitely a it's a it's a mid a mid franchise wheel spinner oh, of a movie, right? Absolutely. One thing I do have to point out: Thai revolutionaries right now, though, yeah. are using the Mockingjay hand symbol. I know. Three fingers in the air. They've been up. doing it for a while, yes. right? And they're getting arrested for it. Yes, right. they are. So in real life, it's more revolutionary and exciting what's going on with but the I, Hunger Games than. In this movie, unfortunately, I know what you're saying, but I feel I feel like the movie is not. I feel like the I feel like the franchise is not earning that respect. Mm. I, I'm I'm going to say uh, the Hunger Games. I'll say the whole title: <laughs> the Hunger Games <laughs> Mockingjay Part One. I feel it's just not a very good date, and, I it, agree. and it's a disappointing. It's a letdown of a date. Yeah, I have to agree with you too. Just and, and this is coming from a Hunger Games fan. I know, not a good date. Not All good right, date. I'm sorry to hear that. I thought I thought maybe you'd. I thought maybe you'd fight for it. No, no. I'm not, I'm not going to fight for it, Rafer. I'm okay. not going to fight for it. All right. <laughs> All right. Well, stay with us because coming up, we have a very special Thanksgiving edition of Sweatpants, What to Watch on the Couch, and Movie Therapy with a really interesting question. And as usual, there is trivia. This is Movie Date. I'm Rafer Guzman. And I'm Kristen Meinzer. Now, Rafer. Yes? Let's get on our stretchy pants. Yes, let's do it. You're wearing sweatpants. It's Monday. Am I the Queen of England? I don't know. Does the Queen of England only wear sweatpants? When you are a man, sometimes you wear stretchy pants in your room. All right. The stretchiest pants. What's the way to say this? The stretchiest pantiest time of the year? <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's it's upon us. It's upon us. Thanksgiving, is there any better time to wear stretchy pants? Get out that band roll waist, (laughs) those band roll waist pants. Get out that, those comfort stretch pants. Who would even wear pants? My khakis with the little elastic in the sides. Oh, yeah. I love those. I love those. Perfect for, you know. I don't actually own those, by the way, America. (laughs) I don't. But I know of them. There was actually a feature, I think it was New York Magazine, on how to wear sweatpants on Thanksgiving. And it had all these wardrobe (laughs) recommendations of what to wear with your sweatpants to to kind of look like you're dressed up, sort of, even though you're wearing sweatpants. Is that what this country is coming to? Uh, It's not not dressy enough when it has juicy on the ass? (laughs) I want you to wear juicy sweatpants right (laughs) there. This Thanksgiving and take pictures and post it on our Facebook page, Facebook.com slash movie date podcast, Rafer in Juicy Sweatpants. Be thankful I'm not wearing that. <laughs> All right. So on this uh, stretchiest, pantiest day of the year, Rafer, yes. we have so many options because, you know, TV just goes nuts on Thanksgiving. VOD goes nuts. Cable goes nuts. There's so many options on Thanksgiving of what to watch. What do we recommend our listeners watch? All right, my pick is for Thanksgiving weekend. It's not for actually Thanksgiving Day itself. It's November 30th. We are going to see uh, on Epics the premiere of uh, Anchorman 2, uh, The Legend Continues. It's the supersized version. Now, if you remember, originally there was Anchorman 2. It came out. 
did quite well. And then Adam McKay and uh, all the guys re just took all their unused footage, all the stuff they didn't use in the first one, and just repackaged it into another entirely different movie with completely different jokes. Is, so, Do we need more of this? Well, here is the one thing I'm going to say about it. If you And I, I, I realize that, that the audience I'm speaking to right now are hardcore Will Ferrell Anchorman fans. Um, I would say if you haven't seen the first, the, the first Anchorman 2, you could just go ahead and see this Anchorman 2. Um, it's actually... Pretty funny. It's pretty good. And the one thing I will say about this movie is that you get a little more improvisation from all the four characters. Here's a clip. Remember the time I took Cham's mom to the hospital and then we hit it off and I gave her gonorrhea? Cham's mom got the clap. Oh, my God. Fantana's a dirty dog. I tell you, son, she was 78, but she didn't look a day over 74. Get rid of the walker and the eye patch? I tell you, she ain't bad looking. Good to go. The one thing I missed, <laughs> the one thing I missed in the in the first, the original Anchorman 2, I keep saying the first Anchorman 2, <laughs> is that um, there were a lot of gags, sight gags, set pieces, but you didn't get enough of that chemistry between the four guys, Steve Carell, Paul Rudd, David mm. Kirkner, Will Ferrell. And in this one, you get a little bit more of that, actually, and I really enjoyed that. So, you know, I can't say that... I can't, I can't tell everyone that you've got to rush down to your basement and sit there in your sweatpants and watch it. But if you are a Will Ferrell fan and you like Anchorman, I think this is a good pick. Nice. Well, I'm having a hard time picking just one because there are always on Thanksgiving so many things to watch. Um, obviously, there's always the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. Right. For but... some reason, Airplane is on, which is also a great movie. <laughs> Why not? Planes and Automobiles, uh, uh, always one of, on. One of our favorites. Yes. And oh, by the way, if you like trains, planes, and automobiles, that's on the CW this year. But I'm going to recommend When Turkeys Attack. They have really keen uh, sense of hearing. Uh, they are able to pinpoint where the sound is coming from. He knows the very tree you're sitting under and will come inerrantly uh, to where that sound emanated from. Here it comes. Now the reason- A horror film? (laughs) No, this is just a special that's looking at these holiday birds which aren't just delicious. Oh. They're also vicious. It's <laughs> So watch out when turkeys attack. That's on Wednesday, November 26th at 10 p.m. on a channel called Destination America. And I just, I think animal attack videos are always hilarious. I completely agree. Especially when it's something like a bird. Well, yeah, help. <laughs> you, know, you, you don't want to see like, you know, when grizzlies attack because no, that no, would be no. upsetting and brutal. But when turkeys attack, how bad could it be? No, it's going to be wonderful. Turkeys attacking. I think it's going to be high. Hilarious. And um, one last thing. On Thanksgiving itself, which, which football team are you going to root for, Rafer? I only know they only – you told me earlier today that there are always how many football games? There's three games. I never knew that. My entire <laughs> life I never <laughs> knew the that there were three games. The game around noon, the game around four, and the game around eight. Anyway, yeah. the only thing I can say is I'll, I'll probably have to root for the, uh, the San Francisco 49ers only because I, I lived in San Francisco and uh, loved it. And, and that's, that's sort of in some kind of emotional way my hometown. Well, that's the NBC 830 game. So – I, I, I will cheer for them as well, Rafer, even though I don't know a darn thing about football. But I'm also in the earliest game of the day, the 1230 game. I'm going to cheer for the Chicago Bears. Oh, why? They're playing against the Detroit Lions. 
Because I love me some Chicago. Yeah, you, have a, you have a thing for Chicago. I'm in love with Chicago. Chicago's an awesome town. It's I your love kind it. of town. It, it is my kind of okay. town. It's totally my <laughs> the kind. The Union Stockyards? Oh, love it all. Okay. Love it all. Keep all going. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. All right. Though that's Those are two pretty good sweatpants picks. Yeah. I love those sweatpants picks. What seems to be the trouble? Can I confess something? I'm just trying to tell you about my feelings. He's been depressed. Help! We have something else we have to take care of right now, too. A little movie therapy? A little movie therapy. My name is Matt Stewart. I live in Brooklyn, New York, and I work in a mental health care program for people with psych disorders and substance abuse disorders. I'm running a group there called Coping Through Cinema, where we watch films with characters with mental illnesses, and uh, we discuss them. So I was wondering if you had any good movie suggestions in that vein. We've already watched Silver Linings Playbook, Lars and the Real Girl, but uh, we'd love any suggestions that you have. Thanks so much. Now that's a question. Wow. Matt, that's great. That's, yeah. that's a great question. And Rafer, you and I have talked a lot about mental illness on film. Um, during Every time a movie about mental illness comes out, we start referring to a bunch of other ones. Yeah. The obvious ones, obviously, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest comes up a lot. Um, of course. But let's try to do some less obvious movies for Matt. Okay. Uh, number one, Kristen, this was your pick, Proof. Yeah, Proof. Now, this movie is an adaptation of a play that Rafer and I both really enjoyed when it was on Broadway. There was uh, Jennifer Jason Lee played the role. Right. And, um, also, Mary Louise Parker was in it at one point. So it was movie stars on Broadway yeah. in this. And this centers on a mathematician, a young woman who's in her late 20s. And her father, who had extreme schizophrenia, recently died. And he left behind a math proof that can philosophically say certain things, but also mathematically say certain things. And she is, um, in the movie, played by Gwyneth Paltrow. And she's struggling not only with the loss of her father, but She's what you might call unhinged herself and uh, is dealing with uh, inheriting not only her father's genius, but the likelihood of inheriting his mental illness throughout the film. Here's a clip. Wow. I can't believe how many people are here. I never knew he had this many friends. Where have you all been for the last five years? I guess to you guys, he was already dead, right? I mean, what's a great man without his greatness? Just some old guy. Anthony Hopkins as the father, correct? Yes, that's right. And her love interest, Jake Gyllenhaal. Ah, no kidding. Kind yep. of an earlyish role for him, I guess, right? Oh, not that early. This no? is 2005. 2005? Well, I feel like he wasn't really coming to his own until later. Or maybe, well, perhaps you were aware of him before I was, Kristen. I can't help it. I was. <laughs> can't help it. <laughs> All right, number two, uh, we chose the John Cassavetes film, A Woman Under the Influence. Great with film. Peter Falk and Gina Rollins. Uh, Peter Falk plays a husband who is trying to control his wife, who is clearly unstable. What she's really diagnosed with uh, is unclear, but she's clearly mentally ill, having a very difficult time. Uh, really, the, 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 the take-home scenes from this are uh, around the dinner table, uh, and they are just harrowing. It is an incredible portrayal of mental illness. Here's a clip. At the hospital, they come in every morning and they give you a shot. Please, Mabel, and, uh, don't talk then about the nurse takes you to the toilet and they, uh, they teach you games and, and how to weave things. And uh, they give us shock treatments, which are, those are where electricity goes through your head and is supposed to... Yourself. Be yourself. 
It's also a this movie's also a, a, a great chance to go back and, and remember that Peter Falk had done a lot more than Columbo. Yeah. He was an amazing actor, a longtime uh Cassavetti's colleague. Um and this movie really to me is well, it's hard to say what sort of the quintessential Cassavetti's movie is, but this is definitely one of them. And Gina Rollins is just amazing. It, it is acting on a level that you very, very rarely see. You'll actually feel mentally ill while you're watching it. <laughs> yes. You will. It's incredible. And you feel, this, you feel, I think, more importantly, you feel the strain. You feel the strain of it when, yeah. while you're watching that movie. Yeah. Um, a movie that's a little bit sunnier in its depiction of mental illness, Little Miss Sunshine. And in this movie, Steve Carell is playing... A very depressed man, clinically depressed, recently attempted suicide, back with his family that's um, his sister, brother-in-law, the kids, and just dealing with what you do when your mentally ill family member comes home. And in this movie, the way they deal, go on a road trip, (laughs) enter a beauty pageant. Here's a clip. How did it happen? How did what happen? Your accident. Uncle Frank didn't really have an accident. Tried to kill himself. Why? I wanted to kill myself because I was very unhappy. He's a sick in his head now. Richard! I don't think it's an appropriate conversation for a seven-year-old. Well, she's going to find out anyway. Okay. Road trip. (laughs) It's always the answer, isn't it? (laughs) I love this dysfunctional family. I really do. And, you know, I I, I don't mean to make light of depression at all. They they do touch on that a little bit. But you really see in, in a bigger picture way how the family deals with that. Not so much him, but how the rest of the family deals with the situation. I think that's one of the things that actually made that film uh, such a hit and why people, uh, why it resonated with people was because uh, Steve Carell's character and his condition was so sensitively portrayed. It's not, it's not, it's played for a laugh or two, but, but not as a joke. You know, you, you're trying to see the humor in it and, and get through it the way the family is. Um, I, th- I thought that was really great. And it was one of the first times I think any of us saw Steve Carell doing something different like oh, that yeah. as well. Absolutely. And he was great in that. Going back to the darker side of things, we also chose Marat Saad, which is the Peter Brook adaptation of the play. Play within a play. It's about the Marquis de Saad, who is uh, incarcerated at uh, Charenton, the asylum. And he and the other inmates decide to put on a play about the assassination of the revolutionary Jean-Paul Marat. I think one of the things that Kristen and I both liked about this movie um, was the fact that it's about the inmates. Uh, they feel empowered. Um, mm-hmm. They're kind they have of some agency in this. Exactly, exactly. And uh, and I think it, the play is really interesting because it it also kind of gets at the heart of um, people who are mentally ill. There's also something kind of mysterious about them and the way they look at the world. And there's something that we kind of something subversive about it, potentially subversive. And then that, that's why we are fascinated by the disease and also that we fear it, I think, because it upsets our worldview. And I think that was one of the great things that the Marquis de Sade was obviously always trying to do. And I think the film, I think the film gets at the heart of that. What are all your pamphlets and speeches compared with her? She stands here and will come to you to kiss you and embrace you. Mara... See how she smiles, how her teeth shine, how she shakes her dark hair aside. Mara, forget the rest. There's nothing else beyond the body. But what's the point of a revolution without general copulation? It's also 
got some great acting. Um, Patrick McGee as uh, the Marquis de Sade. Glenda Jackson as Charlotte Corday. That's right. Glenda yes. Jackson. She's wonderful in this. There you go. Yeah. So I I would say one of the more interesting movies on our list. Really like nothing else on our list. Yes. And our final one also takes place in a mental health institution. It's kind of a funny story. Yes, with Zach Galifianakis. Yeah, Rafer and I love this one. It's it's kind of a heartwarming story of really just being at a point almost of giving up and Mm -hmm. then realizing maybe that you're not even mentally ill at all, that the world around you is. Or that maybe you're just a teenager. Maybe you're just a teenager. Which I love, which I love. How you doing? You got a cigarette? Uh, no, sorry. What's wrong with you? I just don't smoke. No, I mean, why are you in an ER at 5 o'clock on a Sunday morning? Well, um, I guess there's just been a lot going on in my, in my, my mind lately. The lead is played by Keir Gilchrist. I think I'm pronouncing his name wrong. Am I pronouncing his name wrong? No, I think that's right. Okay. And the love interest, Emma Roberts. Uh-huh. Who's delightful yes. in this. Right. And Zach Galifianakis plays a kind of mentor to the lead character who is sort of shepherding him through this whole experience and uh, trying to help him get that girl and right his ship. Yes. So I, I would say that this is heartwarming in a way. It's mm-hmm. funny in a way. And I feel that it really respects its characters throughout. Yeah, and it's and it's it's sensitive, I think, and also not um, it doesn't glamorize in any way uh, mental illness the way I think that some films tend to do. Um, it doesn't glamorize or sort of histrionicize it, um, and that's one of the things I like about this movie. Yeah, me too. So, so there oh, you go, Matt. Yeah. Thank you so much for calling in, Matt. And reminder to all listeners, if you ever have a question for movie therapy or you just have comments, suggestions, you are mad at us about something. You want to tell me I pronounced Rihanna's name wrong? Oh, no. Sure. Should we play that call? <laughs> <laughs> Some guy called in and said I pronounced it Rohana, but I'm, I'm almost positive I did not do that. I think you just really pronounce that H is what it comes down to. Is that right? what it For is? Which some people do. I don't personally pronounce the H. I but just if you say, say Rihanna. It, yeah, but then it sounds like that's like that Stevie Nicks song. <laughs> and I feel that's weird. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I don't know, but you, you can always call in 5717movies with, yeah. with anything you like. Definitely. Call 5717movies or you can also message us at facebook.com slash Podcast, and you can do that also to answer our trivia question. Ah, uh, yes. So last week, in honor of the theory of everything, we asked about another astrophysicist on film. We played this clip. Now, you'll also be trained and evaluated by a few civilian specialists. Civilians are here because they are our very best source of information on enemy aircraft. One of the most qualified is our tag rep, call sign Charlie. She has a PhD in astrophysics, and she's also a civilian contractor, so you do not salute her. But you better listen to her because the Pentagon listens to her about your proficiency. It's all yours, Charlie. Thank you. Hello. We will be dealing with F5s and A4s as our MiG simulators. Now then, as most of you know... The F-5 doesn't have the thrust-to-weight ratio that the MiG-28 has, and it doesn't bleed energy below 300 knots like the MiG-28. And who is that astrophysicist, and what movie is that? Here's the right answer. Hi, this is Debbie Owen from Charlottesville, Virginia. 
I'm calling with an answer to this week's trivia question. Don't even have to think about it. Um, Codename Charlie is none other than Kelly McGillis from Top Gun. Um, wonderful, wonderful character in that male-dominated movie. Thank you very much. Bye. Great job, Debbie. Nice Terrific going, Debbie. Work. Codename Charlie. <laughs> now, <laughs> so this week, again, because it's Thanksgiving weekend and we figured everyone's got uh, Thanksgiving on their minds, we chose a Thanksgiving-themed film. There aren't that many of them, really, so your choices are kind of narrowed down here. Here's the clip. Henry, Henry, give me your answer, do. I'm half crazy, all for the love of you. It won't be a stylish marriage, I can't afford a carriage. You'll look sweet upon the seat of a bicycle. Nice work. Yeah, nice work, guys. As usual, I'll go calm her down. No, 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 I'll go. I said I would. Oh, Jesus Christ, I'll go. It's my wife. Oh, Jesus Christ, I'll go. It's my fault. I'm sorry. I just acted like I was too. If you know that Thanksgiving-themed movie, give us a call, 5717-MOVIES. Or, again, you can message us at facebook.com slash movie date podcast. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone.